Hi, you're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Zoe Doling, SVP of Research at Focus Vision. Founded in 1990, Focus Vision offers a technology suite that enables both qualitative and quantitative market research. Prior to joining Focus Vision, Zoe served as an executive at Kantar and the U.S. Census Bureau. Additionally, she was an associate lecturer at the University of Surrey. Zoe, thanks so much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Tell me a little bit about your parents, where you grew up, and how that's impacted what you're doing today. So my parents are philosophers, which always made for interesting dinner conversation. And how they they impacted, one of the big things that impacted, I think, exactly where I am today and my interest in, I have a strong interest in culture, technology, and then, of course, I bring that together with research and understanding people and life, is that when I was about five or six, we moved to South Africa. And one of the, the interesting things was that moving so far away from family and at the, in those times in the 80s, you know, we didn't have a landline at home. And even if we did, to actually do an international call, you actually had to go to one of the, we lived in a very rural area, there was only two hotels. And we went to one of them to place uh, a call with international operator to speak to my grandmother on her birthday. So this was the most exciting event, you know, sort of birthdays and Christmases. We can, we, can get in the, we can get in the car, go to the local hotel to actually place this long distance call uh, international call. And it was incredibly exciting, but, but it brought this kind of communication because then it was the wonder of, wow, I'm speaking to somebody that's 5,000 miles away. And you can look at how, you know, technology's changed. If you think about that, you know, in the 90s, you know, email. I remember I was in Scotland and my parents were in South Africa and, and I was emailing them. And it was like, this is incredible. I'm not waiting three weeks for this, this blue airmail letter. And then the first time that I ever did an instant message chat, it was mind-blowing. <laughs> that sounds crazy today. Uh, when you think of, of young people growing up and, and even young people in the workforce, you know, the internet's always just been there. Whereas I remember how pivotal it was to actually bridging that gap from communication, which is a long kind of winded way of saying all of these kind of experiences and also the culture, the, the culture element coming in. I lived in, in a very, very different culture. And so looking at South African culture and looking at British culture, and I've been in the US for 15 years. And so American culture and, and just the world and how all of this comes together with technology is fascinating. And that's what kind of brought me to where I am today with all of these different things of how do we understand the world? How do we understand people? And, and brands are a very fascinating element with that, it, within that because, you know, you think of your brands, you think of the, the products and services that have changed our lives, how technology has driven that. And so kind of bring it all together and, and trying to keep digging into it and, and understanding it. And also from my more methodological background, how can we do that in better ways? How do we ask the right questions? You know, how do we make sure that we're getting answers that are the right answers because we've asked the right questions? It does start with a question, right? You have an overarching objective for a study. Almost every survey I've, I've written, I start with this in, you know, the title font with what the objective yeah. is and then, you know, try to control survey creep or discussion guide, guide sure. creep if, you know, it's not attached to if a question or, or direction of a conversation is not attached to addressing like the, you know we we just don't have time for nice to knows yeah I, and i well and i think that's a that's a shift though because i think that there was if i think of when i joined the market research community uh, i joined Kantar 12 13 14 years ago and i started well i started in copy testing uh which is still fun actually um but there was this thing of we're going in to speak to people and so it was almost like you know, this is our opportunity to get the answer. So let's ask everything, you know, let's put it in the kitchen sink. 
to be cliched about it. And I think there was this thing of because it took time to get that information, it took, I mean, a copy test back, back in those days took, you know, four to six weeks, which is just unthinkable today. Can you imagine, like, you know, you need to do your ad test yeah. and, you know, it's totally. like uh, uh, actually with like four to six hours, never mind three to four days. Um, yeah. So, so I, th- I think that we've, we've got this little bit of a legacy of, you know, this is our chance to speak to people. So let's, why not just add that? What if that's interesting? What if that's interesting? And I think that's a mindset that we still need to get out of. And when our, when our surveys are all mobile friendly and in that 10 minute mark, I'm perhaps we've, we've reached that point, but we're, we're a long way from it. Yeah. I mean, speaking of philosophy, just kind of like Occam's razor has always been one of my favorite frameworks for life in general, you know, so any sort of piece of correspondence I send, I always try to reduce the words and the content to the point where the intent is clear, but then the rest of it is kind of like cut out just to kind of get through the noise. And, you know, with respect to survey design, you know, that works in both ways because you can be too brief, therefore missing the really intent. And then, you know, at the same time, you have this overall kind of headline. We've always been headline consumers, but even more so today, it's like people just simply don't read. So what do you see as the key elements to a good interview question? Uh, And this can be framed with qualitative and then or quantitative or both, however you want to think about it. I I think the the fundamentals remain the same, whether you're you're asking a question in a survey or or constructing it for an interview. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, some fundamental differences, but at the same, if you think about the first thing is, are you going to be understood? You know, talking everyday language. I think too often we want to frame, we either bring in the world that we're in, be it the, the actual industry, you know, we've, we've got particular language jargon that we're using. Or you might think that I need to be so incredibly specific that you end up creating this very convoluted, uh, you know, the way it's a constructed question that, is anybody going, you, you just said it. We look, we read in headlines. So do our participants. They scan. In fact, very often in a survey, they actually just go straight to the answers to determine what the question was and how they're going to respond. So it's been clear. It's been concise. And I think that kind of works for both sides, qualitative or quantitative, because if we're qualitative, you're going to you know, take the question and you can probe, you can go deeper and you're going to you know, take it all from there. But if you start with something that's very convoluted, then, well, you're probably not going to get to where, where you really wanted to go in the first place. That would be my overarching thought. We, we, we sometimes over-engineer our questions. So this is something, I've never actually heard anybody say this before. I wish there was a counterpoint person on the show right now because it would be really fun to do a, to have the other side mm-hmm. of the, the other side of the table represented. But respondents go straight to the answer and try to figure out what the question is. Yeah, I've, it's so funny. So I've literally been thinking this, but never said it out loud for over a few years now that, you know, those two or three or four lines of text that exist on top of your answer uh, set inside of a survey, nobody's getting that unless maybe you have a few bold words or underlined words or something that like stands out from the general text. People are going right to what the, the content in the answer choice is. So I've been fortunate enough to, I can back this up with data, I'm glad to say. Uh, I've been in usability interviews. Uh, we had an extensive program when I was in Kantar, and this, this is probably a good um, 10 years ago when we were trying to improve web questionnaires. 
And so we, we, we looked at a number of different things, obviously the, the technology and, and how it's being displayed on screen is, is, was a, the central part of it. But we actually took time to think about okay, how are we constructing questions? What are people doing? How are we getting to understandings? And so we did usability testing. We also did some eye tracking. And what was fascinating, you could literally see it on screen, was that people's dominant area of where their eyes was going was to the, the response options. And it was a very fleeting glance at the questions. And so that, you know, you, you can see this mapped out. And the longer your question is, the more daunting it is. Um, and the, the less people, because people don't have time and they're not invested in it. And, you know, we could, we could go all the way back to some of the theory around this. So a couple of things, if you wanted to look at the psychology of survey response, again, keeping on the quantitative side, and, you know, people have got a comprehension, recall, judgment, and then response. So comprehension, what are you trying to ask me? Recall is what, where is this kind of answer coming into, you know, how could I answer this? What, what is my answer to this? Judgment, what is the appropriate answer? And then your actual response. And so, you, you know, you're doing that in split seconds. This is all just part of your cognitive process. And we make it harder for people if their questions are extremely lengthy. Smaller screens amplify this grossly. Jacob Nielsen, if people are familiar with him, he talks about this, you know, smaller screen, it is harder. There's less to, to comprehend. It takes us longer to do it. And uh, ironically, on a mobile device, people are probably less focused in on the task. They might be doing it just as a, a quick stop gap in their lunch break or on the bus or, or sitting on the sofa whilst the adverts are on. So, you know, we, ha- we have all of these things. We understand what people are doing when they're actually uh, responding to a survey and responding to these questions. But then we're, we're not necessarily building that into how we're, we're, ask, we're asking them and how we're constructing our questionnaires. And the one last thing I'll talk about just on in terms of going back to the, the theory behind it, Don Dillman, who's, you know, sort of renowned uh, professor that, that actually started out in uh, perfecting telephone and mail surveys and has since done work over the last decade or two, two decades on the Internet, uh, starting with email and then into web. Um, you know, but he had this whole thing about the value exchange. And there's a lot of different reasons why people take surveys and what are they trying to get out of it. And of course, we think about all the time about the financial incentives, you know, the panels, and it's like, what points are people getting? But there is also a value element to it here. People need to understand the value of their research, their opinions, they want to give their opinions. I think culturally, as we've already talked about, we are in this generation of reviewers, and people want to believe that the information that they're giving is is going to be used. And sometimes we don't think we don't always convey that in the survey, you know, how is this information going to be used? Or this is really incredibly valuable beyond just saying that. So I think there's a lot of different elements in how we're constructing our surveys that we could do to make it easier. And one of them, just going back to where we started is shorter questions. So keeping to the 10 words, that's my rule of thumb. I mean, it's, you know, hey, we've all got to have a goal to strive for. And I think a 10 word question would be a great way to start. And now all of a sudden you have to become highly disciplined around, because it's easy to write a long question. Wasn't that Hemingway? Um, yeah. Right. He said, I'm sorry, I don't have time to write your short letter. So this long one will have to do. Mark oh, Twain. Mark, Mark Twain. Twain. Sorry. Yes. Was, right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, thanks for correcting me on that. That would have been catastrophic if that would have gone out. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So right, it is hard. It's really hard to reduce a thought to fewer words. Right. Getting back to Mr. Occam. <laughs> Absolutely, because you're having to clarify within yourself, what is it that I really want to know? What is it that I'm trying to get at? Um, I always likened it as well to the early days of composing a tweet. You know, you had 140 characters, like I can't write everything that I want in there. 
And then it turns out you actually can by simplifying your language, by simplifying the concept. And then you can always follow up. And I think that that's something that we can think about doing within our within our surveys. Have you seen the Twitter surveys? Yes, I have. What do you think? I mean, they're, I like them. They're short. And, and it's, right. they're kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I like them. And it, and it kind of gets to that in the moment. Have you seen this or... Yeah. Are you interested in XYZ? Yeah. 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 I screen captured one and then posted it on Twitter, you know, hashtag MRX, asking researchers what they thought about it. And actually one researcher who's w- well known responded very negatively about no re- no professional researcher could use this approach to gather consumer insights. Mm-hmm. And see, he would be fun to have on the show, by the way, because I think he would offer a nice counterpoint. But anyway, you know, I just couldn't disagree more. <laughs> I just, I, I think, I think that it absolutely, you know, it's not like, it's not like the industry killer or anything like that, but it is a nice supplement to, or, you know, another arrow in the quiver of consumer insights. Sure. And I think this is all part of our evolution. You know, I'm, I'm classically trained, like, you know, and I come from this, I, you, you've heard, I, I was almost getting on my <laughs> soapbox there, you know, talking about how we should be thinking about designing our questions. Let's go back to the fundamentals on the best practices. We can't go wrong with those. But yes, we do need to apply them to today's world and the different mediums that people are using to take our, our surveys or even speak to us qualitatively. And of course, it's adaptations. I think there's also adaptations on how we, what kind of data we're collecting and when and how we're using it. Businesses can't wait. That is not where we are today. Everything is it's far too fast. And so sometimes having that quick answer, having that litmus test, has my brand been noticed? Has there been X, Y, Z and, uh, you know, being able to recall this? Or just what is somebody's opinion on ABC? That might be enough as a starting point to go and go into something that's a little bit more in depth. And I, I think that that kind of more iterative approach and to research and thinking about how can we just get some data to work with. And of course, you've, when you're getting that data, and of course, you've got to think if you're asking on Twitter, well, think about who the audience is on Twitter, who, you know, the, the demographics, what kind of makeup of them, because that's obviously going to influence how you, you look at that data and, you know, say, you're not going to say, hey, this is representative of everybody in the United States or in the world. Right. But so right. I think it's, it's always like, you know, we can use these, dare I say, quick and dirty, and I know that that's controversial in itself, mechanisms that we can use this way to get information and as long as you're looking at it in the with the right lens on okay I know this is limited by ABC then it might be good enough to help you move to the next step right and I think that's how we need to we are progressing and evolving as an industry yeah I think I like that so you know like going back to Twitter surveys you know framing your answer or your uh, by that I mean your objective in the context of that community that is answering the the tweet, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, the call to action, which is, you know, again, whatever sort of profile, if it's a paid advert, and then the context of Twitter utilization. So who is that audience and what do they look like? And that, uh, that obviously isn't the whole pie, but it is, you know, a varying size of the sliver depending on who your audience is. Absolutely. The other thing you can do just to pick up on what you said there was, you know, framing the question. That's something that we don't have time for and I don't know how long ago we gave up on doing sort of pilot tests on I've constructed this the survey but due to time and right. the the financial implications of it using something like a, a you know I don't know if this question is going to be understood in the way that I want it to be understood or am I is it going to get the, res- the response just the interest or whatever it may be this type of way of doing a quick test on is this the right wording that I'm after or there's two different ways I could frame this. Why don't I quickly put that out there and see what I'm getting back? 
And and qualitatively as well, you could follow up on, I mean, again, I'm kind of mixing things around here, but there's a lot that we could do to improve the questions that we're asking um, and ultimately the data that we're getting by doing some of the quicker fire ways of exploring, huh, do I want to go down that path or not? with the way that I construct this question or the data I'm getting or so on. Yeah. And there's, and we're a little bit of a rabbit hole. I'm going to try to bring this back in, but I, I, I do feel like this is really important for the audience because a large portion of my audience hasn't been doing this for 20 plus years. So what Zoe's talking about here is we used to, you know, when market research was old and we did things through mail and in mall intercepts uh, and phone. So it was uh, very expensive time and money wise, we would do a soft launch of a project and then get the data back. It would cost about 10% of the project fee. And from that, we would then refine the survey mechanism or discussion guide or whatever, um, and then launch the full study. The objective there on the first part is, is less about understanding the consumer and more understanding is your instrumentation correct for gathering the correct stimuli or the correct feedback from, from consumers. Uh, we have completely walked away from that as an industry as insights has become more democratized. And then the other point that I want to, or not point, that the question I want to ask you, Zoe, is how do you see automation impacting this, The maybe I'm going to call it traditional rigor. Is that pilot not necessary now that we have so many automated solutions and templates for research? One would hope that the pilots were done as those templates were created so that you perfect your instrument before, you know, commercializing it, before you making it widespread. And, and I think that's one of the things that I do like about some of the, the automation and, you know, sort of existing approaches is that you can use robust approaches, methodologies that have been tried and tested and, you know, go in and insert, you know, I think ad testing is, is probably a great example of it. I think it's not going to get you all the way. Like if you really want to understand how somebody's, you know, you want uh, interpreting that ad and there's lots of different ways that you could uh, and approaches you could layer in. But is it going to be good enough? Yeah. And so I think there's there's an interesting automation can bring that some of that expertise to a broader audience. So going back to that democratization of research. So let established researchers, established approaches, established companies that have been doing this for however long and all their expertise, they put it into this templated solution. And then you, as uh, the person, say, in the marketing department or wherever you may be coming from, can benefit from that expertise without having to kind of go down the process of either learning yourself or engaging somebody for one small thing that you have. What do you see as common mistakes in framing questions to participants? And again, I'll just kind of like broaden it. it could be, you can talk to either discipline qual or quant or, or more broad. I, the thing that just comes to mind when I'm thinking about this is, is probably around the word uh, jargon uh, that I've already talked about and trying to be very specific. Like there was an instance that I had, I mean, I've reviewed countless questionnaires. That's just something in terms of language and trend of their experience that we're trying to deliver to our participants. I mean, that's something that I do. And this comes up over and over again. And you, I really do understand why it's there. And it's also incredibly difficult. Let, let's not make any bones about it. Is it? It's, an, it's very easy to pick holes in somebody else's survey. You know, when you're looking at it, you're not the one that's constructed it. You're not the one that's been writing it because, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do and it can have its, its challenges and it's a skill. It's like anything. It's like writing is a skill. Writing your survey questions are, is a skill too or your, your qualitative interview questions or your online activity questions. Uh, it is a skill and it gets better and better over time. I think one of the things that I see people falling into the trap of is trying to be so specific about the situation. So 
uh, scenario that stood out, and this is probably from five, six, seven years ago, was I was reviewing this, it was a diary study, and it was actually taking place in Africa. I think it was a Northern Africa you know, set of, of countries. And they wanted to understand some snacking moments, which again, we don't talk about, I had a snacking moment today, or several of them. But you know, this is the language that was being brought into this, <laughs> the, the questions within the diary. And then they wanted to get more specific about it. And I wish I could remember the details of it. And it's not to uh, unfairly call out you know, the people that are constructing it, but it was, it, it's fairly typical. It's like, but we're, we're interested in this particular event. And they had their whole definition of it. And it was incredibly important to them. And I just kept going, but that doesn't make sense to an everyday person right. that's just going into their cupboard and picking out, you know, right. the snack for hand. So that, like, here's my snacking it, occasion. It, <laughs> yeah. And even just, we, we do, we use language, even if it's just the snacking occasion or the, the um, I'm trying to think of other moments, uh, you know, your morning routine, and we might have other words for that. But, you know, we get so immersed in our worlds and thinking about, but this is how we define it. Okay, but how does your customer define it? Or how does people just going about their everyday lives define it? And that that's something that I think that we I understand why we do it. I really do. <laughs> but I from a from a participant's perspective, the person responding to to the question, that's that makes it challenging. What is the worst question you've ever seen? Honestly, I'm going back to that that is a reference. Just as because it was just so convoluted. And um, the other thing is, I don't have it. I've seen, I've seen some doozies. So, so there's, I mean, everything. Double barrel questions. How can you really answer that? You're leading me into it's the basics. It's you're leading me into this response. I can't respond to the other way. We're all the time. It's like I can't respond to that at all. Like I, none of those apply, and we don't give. We're constructing these questions to allow, and this actually is more on the quantitative side because at least on the qualitative side, people are you get to some sort of response, whether it's what you want or not, but people give their opinion because it's open-ended. Whereas in a closed-ended survey question, you know, you're you're dictating the whole frame of it, the question you're asking and the responses they get. And it's like, no, that doesn't apply to me. Like you're not getting to my opinion. And I think those are some of the, the things you see frequently and we're all guilty of it because you're you the person that's designing the instrument, you're bound by your own parameters and how you're viewing it and how you're framing it. Uh, do you remember the show, Yes, Prime Minister? Yes, I do. So they have, I, I, you may have seen it, the um, Leading Questions episode. Oh, I think I might have a, a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna, I'll share it with you right after this. It is epic. He has two different directions. He, so he writes, he, on the fly, he writes a survey that is designed to answer mm -hmm. a specific question. And then he creates a counterpoint survey that comes out with a completely different question just simply by changing the question types to mm. being leading. And it was, it's freaking, I think it should be like part of every researcher's experience to watch this episode is so artfully done. Anyway, yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you on that point. So Zoe, you are gainfully employed at my alma mater, Focus Vision. Are you guys doing anything that's particularly interesting you want to talk about at the moment? Uh, we have a couple of things uh, in the pipeline, but I think I'm just going to say stay tuned. I think it's all going to be exciting. Good. I will certainly stay tuned. I continue to be a big advocate for the company and the leadership. So uh, well done with what you guys are doing. My guest today has been Zoe. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me today on the Happy Market Research Podcast. 
Everyone else, I hope you find value in this episode. As always, screen capture, share on social, tag me. I will send you something very special. That is a Happy Market Research t-shirt. Have a great rest of your day.